Okay, let's look at our scripture as we continue our series called Close Encounters with Christ, which is an expose on uh, various uh, uh, personal encounters that people had with Jesus. This is uh, entitled Fear and Faith, and this is Mark 5, 21 through 24 and 35 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there's an interaction here. You see there's a space, and uh, this is the story of where Jesus heals a bleeding woman. He's interrupted, and so that interaction happens while they're on the way to heal this, uh, uh, this man's daughter. And we pick up the story again. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a Navy buff. Not having been in the Navy myself, I sort of admire these guys and I admire the Navy and I, I like Navy planes and Navy vessels and look at them. And I was busy looking at the statistics of the latest aircraft carrier, the Gerald Ford. Has anyone been on the Gerald Ford, by the way? If you have, I'm not, there we go. I'm not surprised that there hasn't been someone. This is sort of the latest class of aircraft carrier to replace the Nimitz class of aircraft carriers. And here's just some stats on the Gerald Ford. It weighs 100,000 tons, it's 1,000 feet long, 250 feet high, that's 25 decks. So you don't want to jump off the edge of the Gerald Ford, let's put it that way. And yet, being as large as it is, it can speed in excess of 35 miles an hour. Now you wonder, how can it do that? Well, it's because it has the new A1B nuclear reactor. It actually has two of them. And these reactors, they split enriched uranium to produce heat and convert it into steam to power the steam turbines, of which there are four propellers. And so this boat produces over 500,000 horsepower. It is a hoss, to be sure. Let me show you another boat. This is my boat, actually. This is called a Weta, and I actually have one of these. I sail this in my bathtub sometimes. <laughs> It's very small. It's actually about 14 feet long, so I sail it in the Chesapeake Bay. I trailer it along in my truck. And uh, the Weta is a great little boat. It's a trimaran, 
and it can match uh, speeds of uh, not 35 miles an hour, but uh, it matches uh, knots of wind. So if it's 10 knots of wind, it can go 10 uh, miles an hour, which is kind of fast uh, for a sailboat, and so on and so on. Uh, it is powered not by uh, nuclear energy, but it is powered by the wind. I want to talk to you about power. That's why I'm bringing up these illustrations. Because we see here with the aircraft carrier Gerald Ford that it's powered by nuclear energy. And my boat is powered by the wind. But we are human beings, and so I ask you the question, what is it that drives your life? Not speaking about physical energy, not speaking about muscle power or nutrition, but I'm speaking about your soul. What is it that empowers you to live, to make decisions, to navigate through the complexities of life? Because there is something that must power your soul, something that must give life energy to you and your life. And in the Bible, what God is calling us to is to be powered by faith. This story is all about faith. Because faith connects us to a greater power, the power of Jesus Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ that must drive our life, not our life that drives our faith in Jesus Christ. Notice that again. Faith in Jesus must drive our life, not life drive our faith. And so this story here is a test case of this man's faith in motion. And as I've read the scripture, this scripture and other scriptures, I've noticed that there is a pattern of faith that if we learn and understand how to, how to harness it, it will help us to grow in our relationship. Here are three principles that we're going to discuss. Number one, faith spurs action. The faith that you have will spur you to act in some sort of way. But number two, circumstances spur doubt. As we see circumstances around us, they spur doubt. And then finally, the grace of Jesus Christ spurs faith again. So faith spurs action. Circumstances spur doubt. And grace spurs faith again. Because faith in Jesus Christ must drive our life. Not life drive our faith. Let's begin with point number one, that faith spurs action. We see as this story begins that Jesus has crossed again in a boat, uh, not the Weta, not the Gerald Ford, but a fishing boat to the other side. And there's this great crowd that's gathered around him. Wherever Jesus went, there was this great crowd because there was a life energy to him that people could experience it in his words, in his deeds. And so this crowd is around him. And as this crowd is thronging around him, there comes one of the rulers of the synagogue whose name is Jairus or Jairus, we're not exactly sure. And Jairus uh, falls at his feet and implores him, please, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on him so that he may live. A couple of things we know about Jairus right off the bat. He is a leader of the synagogue. Most likely, he is a Pharisee. And so we, uh, the Pharisees get a bad rap. They were ultra-religious. They were in charge of a lot of the religious life of, uh, of uh, the locals. And so Jairus is a Pharisee. He's extremely important. He's respected. He is a ruler of the people. And yet he comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet, 
So that's not something you do in this honor-shame culture. You certainly don't do it lightly. And if you just get the picture, here's Jesus with this crowd of maybe thousands around him. And this man pressing through and falling at his feet and looking up at Jesus. And he's imploring him earnestly. He's putting everything he can into this request because he feels, he knows he has one shot for his daughter. And that shot is Jesus. My little daughter is at the point of death. He is in a life and death situation. His daughter is hanging uh, by a thread of going over to the other side of death. But Jairus says this, he says, come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Jairus has a firm belief in Jesus' power. That Jesus, if he simply comes and comes to uh, his house and lays hands on his daughter, even though no one else, nothing else has been able to save, to help his daughter, that this daughter of his will live. Tremendous amount of faith and confidence in Jesus Christ that has led him to debase himself to stand in front of Jesus, uh, excuse me, to kneel in front of Jesus in this manner. We see that for Jairus, his faith is spurring action. It's his faith, his belief in Jesus Christ that is driving him to Jesus to ask him, to implore him to save his daughter. Now, where did he get this faith, we may ask? I mean, he's a Pharisee, and uh, they don't have a particularly high opinion of Jesus, we know, though we don't know exactly where Jesus is in his ministry. In fact, the, the word has gone out, you know, to, to not acknowledge uh, the legitimacy of this teacher. Maybe he's never even seen Jesus before. Maybe he's just heard the scriptures. But he has a faith that is spurring his action. We know that ultimately faith is a gift of God. But God has given them this faith and he has responded by acting. It's his deep need that has forced him to go out, to look, to place all of his hope on Jesus Christ because faith spurs action. But what about us? The axiom is true for Jairus and it is true for us as well. That what you believe in, you will pursue. We all have circumstances that are beyond our control, right? In fact, you learn as you get older that much of life is not in our control at all, though we like to think so. So when things come up, these storms come up on the horizon of our life, whether it's sickness that we weren't expecting, that no one can do anything about, whether it's job, whether it's uncertainties of life, we all at some point get to the end of ourselves where there's nowhere else to go, where we cannot depend on ourselves. And the question is, where do we go? We really only have two choices, either to despair and lay down and die, or to place our faith in something. All too often, we make a poor choice. We place our faith in things that cannot help us, or things that won't help us, that aren't interested in helping us. I don't know if we... Liel and I have a tradition of watching uh, the movie that we watched our, our, uh, the, our first date oh so many years ago, It's a Wonderful Life, which was uh, recently portrayed beautifully by Alex King uh, and uh, this guy over here, I forget his name, Old Man Potter. Remember the scene uh, in 
It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, Clarence, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh no, that was last time. Sorry, not, not the devil, the angel. Potter was not, the, the, not a devil. But if you remember, George Bailey, his partner loses $8,000 and he's got to find the money somewhere, right? So who does he go to? The only one who has that kind of cash. He goes to old man Potter. And you see him in his office begging, uh, asking, you know, begging. You're the only one who can help me. And what does Potter do? Potter doesn't help him. No, indeed, Potter swears out a warrant for his arrest. Faith leads to action. But the question is, do we have the correct faith? Well, Jairus did. He places his faith on Jesus. And Jesus responds in verse 24. And it says, and he went with him. Can you imagine Jairus's hopes and his heart as Jesus turns and proceeds to walk with him back to where his little daughter is? The scriptures say, now faith, 11, Hebrews 11, 6, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith always leads to action. Show me how you act, and I will show you what you have faith in. So the application of this point is quite simple. Where do you place your faith? How do you make decisions? When push comes to shove, when the rubber hits the road, where do you place your faith? How you will raise your kids. How you will love your spouse. How you will manage your finances. How you will deal with all the uncertainty of this world. Jesus calls us to live by faith, not by sight. And so if God wants us to live by faith, that means all of our life. Every aspect of our life is to be subsumed under living by faith in Jesus Christ. We must decide now who we are going to place our trust in. For the storms will surely come. The stream will surely rise. The winds will come. Because God wants our faith to drive our life. Not our life to drive our faith. Well, if faith spurs action, this brings me to my second point, that circumstances spur doubt. The worst thing that could possibly happen happens to Jairus. Well, actually, the worst thing would probably be that Jesus says no. But Jesus says yes, and as they're on the way, Jesus is delayed because he is accosted by this situation. A woman who has perpetual bleeding comes and touches the, the, the hem of Jesus' cloak. And she is healed, and Jesus knows that this power has gone out, and there's this whole interaction of Jesus dealing with this woman. And you can imagine Jairus, he's got momentum, right? They're on the way, and all of a sudden the train stops. And he's panicking because he knows that his daughter is dying. And sure enough, while this interaction is happening, and Jesus is delayed, his daughter dies. Verse 35, people come from the house and they tell Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And it's right there that hope dies with him. All of his faith, all of his belief, it all goes out the window because circumstances 
are communicating that it's all over, that she's dead. Circumstances have spurred doubt. The condition of the daughter spurs doubt. The crowds, his friends who are coming saying, look, it's over. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Everything, it would seem, has changed except for one thing. Jesus is still there. But you see, before Jairus had his eyes on Jesus, now Jairus has his eyes on his circumstances. What would the proper, what should the proper response of Jairus have been? Should be exactly like it was in the first place, right? In the first time. My daughter's at the point of death, but come. It should have been, my daughter has just died, but come and she will live. But Jairus is looking at circumstances. His faith has reached a breaking point. Our faith can reach a breaking point as well, can it? You ever had this happen where you have faith and you come and you go to Jesus Christ and your circumstances begin to change? There's a peace about things, but then all of a sudden you look around and, and circumstances are changing again and everything seems to be going in the right, wrong direction and you're tempted to think, God, where are you? Have you left me? We're tempted to doubt because we look at our circumstances, and not look at the one who is the Lord over them. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus sees what's going on. He can see into our hearts. He knows that this man's heart and his hope is dying inside, and so he says, do not fear. Only believe. Do not fear. Only believe. Notice that they're diametrically opposed to each other. Fear and faith. And there is no room for both, is there? It's one or the other. So do not fear. Only believe. One actually drives out the other. Because faith is the antidote to fear. What this man needed from Jesus and what we need from him when circumstances spur us to doubt is we need reassurance. We need reassurance and that's exactly what Jesus gives this man. And it's exactly what Jesus gives us when we need it. Jesus says to believe. John 14:1 Jesus put it this way, let your not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe what he has done in the past. How he has been faithful in your life. Jesus reassures us by turning us back to remember how he's been there for us time and time again. But Jesus also reassures us with his word, does he not? I think that's one of the reasons we come to church is because we need to hear the scriptures. We need to hear the character of God. We need to be reassured that he is good. That he does have the power to save. That he does have the power to intervene in my circumstances. That he wants to do so. And finally, Jesus reassures us with the cross. Where we look and we see the full measure of his love. For God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we look to the cross, 
When we see his hands and his side and his agony, we remember that God is not immune to our pain and our suffering and our fear. Jesus wants to reassure us, and he will reassure us when circumstances spur doubt. So look to him. Look to him in faith by remembering the past, by going to the scriptures, and by going to the cross and staying there until you remember. Which leads me to my final point, that it's grace that spurs faith again. Jesus says to this man, don't be afraid. Only believe. And so they go. They go to the house. And there's this commotion. There's this wailing and this crying. That's the best that the world can do in a situation like this, is mourn and grieve. And Jesus says to them, why do you continue to weep? This child is not dead, but asleep. And the crowd laughs at him. The crowd will never understand the power of Jesus Christ. If you look to the crowd, if you look to common sense and wisdom, you'll not see the power of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus puts away the crowd, sends them out. Why does he do that? I think he does it for the man's sake, for the father's sake, because they continue to harangue him. They continue to uh, be like a chain around his ankles, circumstances spurring doubt. He puts them out. And then he goes into the bedroom with this select group of people. And he goes up to this girl and he says these words in Aramaic, Talitha kumi, wake up. This is actually in Aramaic, it's, it's kind of the same kind of language when you wake up your child that it's time for school. You would expect it, you know, kind of come out and raise the hands and look to the sky, you know, and, and the whole house shake, but it's, it's just a, it's time to go to school, wake up. And the girl wakes up. Immediately, it says, the child got up and started walking. Jesus doesn't have to bluster with death. Jesus doesn't have to build up a head of steam. He's simply Lord over death and life. His word is final. This child stood up and started walking as if she'd never died at all, and they're all overcome and amazed. And Jesus gives this daughter back to Jairus. Give her some food. In other words, here she is, back to you safe and sound. Now, when this man's faith faltered, what could Jesus have done? When the child died and, and this man's circumstances led to doubt, Jesus could have said, the deal's off. I'm not going to heal this gal because this guy has such weak faith. But the reality is that's not what Jesus did, did he? He healed the girl when there was no faith. Did the man deserve it? No. He faltered. But you see, Jesus delights in showing grace. He gave this man what he needed. In this case, her daughter. Now, how was this man's faith after the daughter was healed? Right in the beginning, this man believed that Jesus could heal the sick. Now this man believes that Jesus can raise the dead because grace spurs faith 
again. Faith is not enough, my friends. Believe and everything will be fine. Well, what happens when we don't believe, when we can't believe, when we falter, when we fail? We need the grace of Jesus Christ to undergird our faith, for our faith will falter. But you see, Jesus knows what it's like to die and to have no one come and speak for him. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Perhaps you've heard that. It's his power that draws me to Jesus. But it's his grace that keeps me there. See, all of us are like this guy in the end. We're here. Well, maybe we're seeking for the first time to hear Jesus, and we're glad you're here. But if you are a Christian, you have faith in him, and that faith has spurred action to come to him. But then circumstances have come into our lives and, and crushed us. But we thank God that he doesn't wash his hands of us right then and there. Just be done with us. No, because Jesus' belief in us is greater than our belief in him. And certainly greater than our belief in, our, in ourselves. Jesus will give us what we need. Sometimes it will be changing our circumstances. Other times it will be giving us the grace and love we need to endure circumstances. Jesus gives us hope for the future. That in due time he will make everything sad become untrue. And when we've come through the trials of life and come out the other end, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, our faith will be stronger. The scriptures are true that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If faith spurs action and consequences spur doubt, the grace of Jesus Christ spurs faith again. I finish with the so what. So what, Carlos? Great sermon. What does this have to do with me today? My friends, God is raising sons and daughters. That's who you are if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The challenges we face on a daily basis are not beyond the power and the realm of God. In fact, he's right in the center of them. Everything that happens to us even the evil that he allows is part of his plan because he wants to teach us to live less and less in the grip of circumstances and more and more in the grip of grace. What he wants is for your faith to drive your life, not your life to drive your faith. Where in your life do you need to not be afraid and only believe? Where is it where you need the power of God to work and act? Where is it where your faith has faltered? He's right there. He won't let go. So do not be afraid. Only believe. In due time, God will make everything sad become untrue. For he is there. And he is not silent.
Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are trustworthy, that we can place our faith in you for the impossible, for nothing is impossible with God. God, let the faith that we have spur action to come to you, to pray to you, to trust in you. And Lord, when circumstances do arise that speak counter to your faith, that spur doubt, Lord, be exactly like Jesus was to this man. Speak to us. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And give us the grace to hold on to you as you take us through this journey of faith. We thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.